Hey friends, welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, I'm Tyler, and I want to let you know really quick before I start this episode that next week there will not be an episode on Monday the 19th because I will be out of town on a job that I cannot talk about. So, uh, which I'm super excited. I'll, I'll say that's all I'm going to say. But <laughs> I will be back on the 26th with a brand new episode. Just want to give a shout out here really quick. So uh, if you are subscribed and you're a fan of the podcast and you're trying to listen to the newest episode, it will not be there on the 19th. Um, anyway, that's my disclaimer for this episode. Let's get right into it. I just want to say I hope everybody had an amazing weekend. It was a very dark and gloomy one here in Colorado, but all the more fitting because I've been enjoying my two months of Halloween ritual, something I do every single year where starting in September, it's, it's pumpkin spice flavored things. It's just bulking up on candy and it's horror movies because I love Halloween. It's my favorite. Uh, people may like Christmas. You know, that's, if that's your thing, you know, enjoy Christmas, but there's so much going on right now. And, and Shudder, if you have not subscribed to Shudder, you need to do it pronto. It is one of the best streaming services for any horror nut, but I, I digress. I'm going to get away from it. Um, I bring up Halloween and horror and this, uh, this time of the season because, ironically enough, this week's guest is the newest version of The Crow. Now, he starred in, wrote, and produced a Crow fan film just called Crow. And it is one of the best adaptations of the character. It's badass, it's dark, it's gothic. So we talk a lot about that in this episode. We talk about his love for Jurassic Park and him fulfilling a childhood dream, working on set of Jurassic World and really kind of diving into the world of acting. We talk about his professional wrestling career and his love for the magic of Mike Flanagan. He is a very humble performer. He's just an incredibly talented person. Not only is he an actor, he's a stunt performer, he's a writer, and he is a lover of cats, as you will hear in this episode, because his cat was very entertained by his backdrop as we were recording. So hopefully it doesn't stand out too much in the audio. I'm going to try and buff it out a little bit. But um, yeah, let's, uh, let's keep going. Let's get right in. Let's sit down and talk with Mr. Justin Maine. Hi, my name is Justin Maine. I am an actor, a former pro wrestler, a stunt actor, a producer, a casting director, and I would like to be a Power Ranger, but that's just not feasible. So I am me, and I'm also a personal trainer and a nutritional coach, so I do uh, quite a few different things. Sorry, my cat is still hitting this damn <laughs> stand, so I'm a cat guy, so if you don't that like was... cats, leave leave now. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most pertinent piece of you know anything from that intro is that you are a cat person. Yes, uh, I, I have to leave it at that. <laughs> Dude, that's, that's a lot of stuff to, to unpack. I do want to ask you, as far as professional wrestling goes, when did you stop doing that? When, well, actually, when did you get into it and, and what made you uh, bow out? Uh, so I got into it. Um, I mean, I, I was a fan since I was like seven, eight years old. Right. Um, and sorry, my cat is just really going to town on this stand. Um, I was a fan since I was like seven or eight years old. And I remember my first memory being uh, uh, Sting from WCW dropping down from the rafters and like I was instantly hooked from there. Um, I got into acting first, but then I left when I was 16. I had a bad experience at an agency 
and I still wanted to entertain and I wanted to perform. So I was trying to figure out like, okay, well, I don't want to act. I don't want to model or anything like that. What can I do? So then I referred back to pro wrestling. Um, I went to a show, WWE Survivor Series 2005, and I sat in fifth row. And, you know, I'd gone there as a fan and I was just watching the, I was watching the, the show and there's this match between Ric Flair and Triple H and they brawled into the crowd right past me and I was sitting in fifth row. So I was like, oh, this is fucking sweet. I'm going to like take a photo of this, right? So I go to grab my camera and this is back in the day when there's no smartphones and I had a actual digital camera. So I went to go pick up my digital camera and as I turn around, I get knocked over. I look back up and I see Triple H and Ric Flair standing literally right next to me, like less than two feet away. And they're just punching each other. Like you can just hear it, like sweat's flying off. It's hit me in the face. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the coolest thing. I've ever, I'm like, I have to do this. So um, I uh, sought out local training from a couple of different promotions. Uh, about a year after I started going on the road and helping to set up for one of the local promotions, I got official training for 12 weeks. And then uh, it was kind of, it was kind of all she wrote on pro wrestling. That was about 15 years ago. And now I'm in my 15th year. So I'll honestly probably be my last year. I'm kind of what I consider myself semi-retirement for a variety of different reasons. But, um, you know, it's been a fun road. I met a lot of a lot of good people. I had a lot of great experiences, uh, tons of injuries, but (laughs) (laughs) it it was a good it was a good ride. Uh, What was the worst injury you experienced? Now I have to ask that question. Oh, boy. Um, So the worst one. I ever had I have there's two of them the worst one and then the scariest one mm-hmm. uh the worst one was fractured ribs I had fractured um my ribs five six and seven on my back on my left side I believe and it doesn't sound too bad um, unless you fractured ribs but if you're unaware uh, when you fracture ribs it is almost impossible to do anything you can't breathe in deep you can't cough you can't laugh you can't um you can't sit down, you can't lay, you can't twist, you can't shit. It, it, it is the the worst, it is the worst injury I've ever had. And it goes on like that for months. Um, and if you don't do proper deep breathing exercises, you can actually develop pneumonia. So periodically throughout the day, you have to take in deep breaths, which are just killer because you can't literally expand your rib cage. Um, so that was fun. Um, <laughs> Well, my cat, geez, she needs to stop. She is too needy right now. She's but, um, the star anyway, of the so, show. She's the star of the show. She just won't, she just won't drop it, man. Normally she leaves the curtain normally she leaves the curtain alone, but she is not doing that today. Um, my apologies. But no, no anyways, uh scariest injury was um I got a what's called a stinger. And for athletes, it's basically a moment where you kind of just hit your head or you hit a certain part of your neck. And it knocks you out completely. And when you come to, you're completely paralyzed. I mean, like completely paralyzed, like you can't move. And I was like that for like 10 minutes after I took a clothesline and landed on the back of my head. And I remember coming to, um, and I couldn't, I looked at my toes, I looked at my fingers and I could not move them at all. Like they were just, I was telling myself to move and I couldn't do it. So um, I had to get carried out of the ring to the back and then over the course of like 45 minutes I started getting like feeling back um I had a pretty severe concussion from that though and that was that was a scary part I don't remember much for the next hour afterward roughly um 
but yeah, no, that was freaky. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's something that, I don't know. I feel like that's very loosely uh, mentioned in a lot of, you know, wrestling, uh, you know, matches or, you know, wrestlers themselves. They hardly ever, like, unless it's an ACL, they hardly ever talk about injuries. Right, so it's always yeah. interesting that, you know, people say, oh, yeah, it's it's fake. Like, yeah, they're putting out a performance, but you can still get hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 predetermined. It's performance for sure. Yeah. Um, but no, you can very still easily get hurt. I think a lot of a lot of wrestlers just try to play off like, they're the big tough guy, the big hard ass, and <laughs> they don't talk about their, their injuries. But, um, I think it should be, um, I think it should be known. Yeah. Like this is a very dangerous business. And if you're not willing and okay with getting hurt, cause you will get hurt at some point. It's just, a, you could be as safe as humanly possible, but at some point you will get hurt. Um, if you're not okay with that, then you can't, you stay out of this business. Like be away from it. And that's one of the reasons, honestly, why I'm semi-retiring. I'm like 34 years years old right now and i just i don't want to get to a point where i do something that's irreversible yeah so i'm, I'm just kind of backing away yeah <laughs> well i figured after like the paralyzing experience if that doesn't scare you off from you know saying yeah I'll, you know what i'm gonna back up a little bit i don't know what will <laughs> that's insanity. no i was but the thing is that was stupid too because you know i have that scary accident and then two weeks later, I wrestled again. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love wrestling. I'm going to do whatever I need to do for it. And then, you know, two weeks later, I wrestle again and I get dropped on the back of my head again. And I have another, I, ha I got another concussion. And it was just uh, not the, not the smartest, not, not the smartest of ideas. Oh my no. God, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're going into semi-retirement and focusing on, <laughs> on other things. I mean, you said you, you know, acting came first. I'm wondering when that came about for you. Cause a lot of us, like, you know, we watched VHS tapes, you know, at four or five years old and went, Oh, that'd be really fun to do. Or other people just right. kind of like get into it later in life. So when did that come up for you as far as that performance goes? So, um, I was always kind of like a natural entertainer. I really liked, um, coming up with scenes in my head when I was a kid and when like when I was going into like junior high and high school I was I was still pretty creative and I just I liked making people laugh I like make making people entertained in some way shape or form um so I remember the day that I had gotten scouted out I was already looking into acting and modeling but for funny enough I was at a mire with a couple of friends of mine when I was like 15 or 16 and we we're just going up and down the aisles, just kind of goofing off. And this guy, it's already shady, right? Um, this guy, <laughs> this guy comes up to me and he's like, Hey, uh, I know this is going to seem a little weird, but do, have you ever thought about like acting or modeling? And I'm like, I mean, it's funny that you say that, but yes, I like, I have thought about it. And like, I, I do want to pursue it. And he's like, well, here's my card. We're doing an open call at this agency. Right. So I take it and I show it to my mom. I'm like, I, so I got approached by this like man at Meyer, and uh, <laughs> she's like, <laughs> the look she gave me, like, like no. Um, but anyways, I showed her the card and we went to the open call, and um, I ended up signing with the company, only to find out about I think like a month later that the entire thing was a scam. It was uh, mm -hmm. it was called One Source Talent. And uh, basically what they do is they charge you these enormous fees that realistically and with agent, any agency in the U S 
um, they don't charge fees. They typically charge just commission, right? Mm -hmm. So I didn't know that at the time. And we're paying, you know, $300 here, $100 here, $100 for a hosting fee on their website, uh, $300, you know, like I said, to, to get um, actually on the roster to get represented. And when we had looked them up online and when we looked them up with the Better Business Bureau, like there's plenty of reports about how they were unqualified as an agency. They did not have the, the licenses that they needed. And on top of that, there's plenty of people who had reported them to the Better Business Bureau as a scam. So a um, few years later, they ended up going out of business and then they reformed under what's called 9-9 Talent. <laughs> Same, same people, same owners, same operation, just different name. Oh, so yeah. So yeah, that, that's why I got out of it. But then a few years later, you know, I, I did a couple of like student films, like with Wayne state university and, um, which is a local uh, university in Michigan and, um, and MPI, which is the motion picture Institute in Troy, Michigan. And I started kind of like getting my, my feeling back for it. You know, I, I didn't, I was still pursuing pro wrestling pretty heavily, but like, I'm starting to kind of get the, like the bug again. And then I did um, Jurassic World as an extra in 2014. And then, then after that, that was like, that was, I was full steam ahead. But how did that come about for you? Because you, uh, I mean, for, for extra work, that's usually like a big open call, right? So did you answer right. something on backstage or actors access or was it through like, how, how did you land that jig or that, that jig? That gig. The jig. Hey, I like the jig. <laughs> How'd you land that jig? I'm from Michigan, so a jig is a fishing lure, but <laughs> I'll, I'll take I'll take a jig anyway. So, um, so uh, long story short, I am a huge Jurassic Park fan. It was one of the first few movies that I watched as a kid. Um, I watched it originally when I was five years old, and um, you know, my it was my dream as a five year old to go to Jurassic Park one day just some way, shape or form. Like I had to go to Jurassic Park. So there's a casting call, you know, in 2014 for a, a film called Abitide, which is like the code name for Jur Jurassic World. And um, I was told by a couple of people to submit to, and I submitted to, I submitted for the Hawaii uh, shooting location and I'm from Michigan. So my chances of going to Hawaii and being picked for it are probably pretty slim. But I did hear back, and at least thankfully they told me, like, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to go with you, but thank you for applying and blah, 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 blah. So I was like, okay, well, it's worth a shot, right? I'm at work, and I get a notification that they're shooting in New Orleans. Um, and I talk with one of my friends at work, and I just kind of tell her the whole story and whatnot. She's like, and just very point blank, she's like, look, if you do not take a chance with this. If you do not go down there for the casting call, this is going to be something that you're going to regret for the rest of your life. This is your dream. Follow it. Go for it. I sat on, I'm like, all right, I'll do it. Um, so funny enough, the casting call was taking place on the weekend of my birthday, which was March 28th. Flew down there. I got tickets literally the day prior to the casting call. Flew down there with my girlfriend at the time. They're holding this casting call in uh, a high school. And we got there, went to it. We met with um, the locals casting director, who was Judy Boulay, and lovely woman, uh, just phenomenal. She's so, so, so gracious and so nice. 
uh, told her our story, told her my story specifically. Like, you know, I've always been a big Jurassic Park fan. Like, I, this is my dream to be a part of this. And um, about a month later, we enjoyed her, the rest of our time in, in Louisiana. It was maybe another two days. Enjoyed my birthday. Uh, about a month later, I got an email while I was at work and I read it and it had said that we had been accepted as extras for the film. I remember throwing my phone down and like literally yelling as loud as I could. And I was at work at a gym. <laughs> so like I had people like who were on treadmills, like literally just whip their head around to make sure that I was okay. But um, yeah, that was that was an amazing moment. And then I think about a, what was that? A month after it was about like I think two or three weeks after that, we ended up going back down to Louisiana again. Um, shot for six days. We were there for 10. Um, I mean, the, the goal wasn't to loot or the goal wasn't to get money. It was more so to just have the experience. And I remember yeah. just walking onto the set after they had us in holding on the first day and I, not, not, not any idea of what to expect. And I remember walking onto the set and I'm seeing like, if you're familiar with Jurassic World, it's like this big um, main street area. It's like a big outdoor shopping mall, right? That's what it looked like to me. And I remember just looking around and, you know, I could see like a Starbucks on one side. I could see like a, um, a Winston Steakhouse on one side. I could see a Dave and Buster's all the way down on one side, like, <laughs> I could see right behind me these like fountains with these large steep steps and I could see right like right behind that like the big um command center that you know it was like the updated version of it and for Jurassic World and I just I remember just looking around and I had to sit down and I started crying like I just busted out into tears because I was so happy in that moment and um yeah that was that was an incredible experience like just I Anytime I think back to that that time there, I think back to that specific moment because it was just it was I was so overwhelmed, um, and it was that that really just ignited my passion for like acting again. Like I I wanted to get back into it. And I wanted to pursue it as heavily as I could. Oh yeah, and for anyone who hasn't, you know, been on a set and is listening to this, it is a very surreal. It, it, there's almost like a cosmic experience when you're on a set, especially if. Uh, part of a movie of a franchise that you love right like that's right yeah that's insane but did you have a chance to run into anybody on the production or do they keep oh, extras yeah. just corralled oh really oh yeah they, they keep them corralled but i mean there would be times where you could run into like the cast if they're hanging out on set or depending on where they're holding extras that you could still run into cast at, the, at those uh situations too but no, I got to meet uh, Chris Pratt. I got to meet Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, I got to meet Ty Simpkins, who was the 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 youngest kid in the film. Um, who was who was his older brother, Nicholas? Oh yeah, I can't remember his name. I forget his <laughs> I forget his last name. Met him. I met their babysitter, the British chick. Um, she was actually pretty funny because uh, there's one <laughs> there's one scene in the movie where uh, the pteranodons are attacking everybody in Main Street. And they had positioned me, she was running into the park with the kids and I was running out past her, right? So they had positioned me like, kind of like right next to her. And we're going through the scene and like, it's such a complex shot because not only do, are there a ton of extras and she has to get to a specific mark. As soon as she hits that mark, they're doing a camera 360 rotation around her. 
So she has to hit the mark perfect. The extras have to be cleared, and then they're doing a 360 turn until she gets yanked up off the ground. And they spent like at least three or four hours just rehearsing this, right? So eventually when we go to shoot it, um, she's trying to hit her mark, and like these extras just keep running in her way. And she's like... <laughs> at points like you can hear her yelling she's like get get the fuck out of my way get the hell like in her british in her in a british accent though get the hell out of my way you know like shit like that and that was the worst british accent i've ever done but by, by, by the way i can do a pretty i can do a pretty decent british accent but like that, well, that was bad i'm gonna i'm gonna own up to that one but um but she was like she was like cursing she was yelling and cursing and whatnot and i remember just saying to her i'm like Ooh, this uh, we should probably get those extras and better, better lineup, right? And she's like, you, you think? Like, <laughs> she's she was funny. She was good. Um, but no, there there's some really good experiences there for sure. And that's yeah, just, I, I got to meet. Yeah. I got to meet a lot of cool people. That's just so cool, man. I'm I'm like I love hearing those stories of especially uh like rekindling your passion for this industry in a way that you know you're not second or third on the call sheet you're somebody who's just taking everything in you know at right. that point there's almost no responsibility you're just kind of doing they say oh hey walk walk a to b and you're, okay all right i'll walk a to b <laughs> as naturally okay. as i can right um, yeah yeah but that i think that's what you should do as an extra it's honestly I, I really feel like any actor in the business like when they're first starting out they should mm-hmm. always get experience as an extra on a set on like a big set um because then it will show you how things are done how they're done properly and how you do them efficiently um, I don't think enough actors get the chance to do that. They'll do an extra for like a local independent movie or like a short film or like a web series, but it's not really the same thing. Um, yeah. I think it's, I think it's really important to see how like the big boys play. Um, because once you start getting more work and more, more notoriety, when, once you start getting more experience, you start working on these productions in a larger capacity and like a supporting or a lead role, mm-hmm you want to be able to kind of refer back to those experiences that you had watched, you know, with the bigger productions and how everybody was handling those. So if I were to give like advice to like any actor breaking in, I I would say that's probably like the, one of the first few things I would do is just get experience on a bigger set, like even as an extra. Yeah. Even if you have to, to travel, my first experience as an actor anywhere professionally was an extra on the Lone Ranger, which I know given the current, uh, status of most of the stars of that film right. probably isn't the best <laughs> but uh but you know just like people like will fickner would come over to you know the hundred chinese extras that we were and just hang out with us and like hey i have the best reception and this spot is okay if i hang with you guys and we're like yeah you're will fickner man like <laughs> no no will fickner please get away this is our wi-fi yeah. not yours like, we're getting paid 180 a day okay we need you to to walk away okay we need you to, right. to hang out but uh, but after that, man, like I felt like my passion was completely invigorated and I wanted to, you know, figure out what the next movie was. So what was the next move for you after you, you know, wrapped Jurassic World, you went back home? Did you think, OK, right. like, I want to I want to start doing this again or did it take some time for you to kind of fall into that? No, I knew it immediately. Um, <laughs> I actually had an experience on set that even pushed me a little bit more forward um, to at least develop a goal of mine, because um, uh, at that point I'd had about seven or eight years of pro wrestling experience so i knew i could do stunts right so i talked to one of the stunt guys on the set i'm like hey so if you guys needed like any extra stunt people like i have experience taking falls i can i'm more than willing to take a fall for you guys if you need somebody 
And he's like, well, I'm not the person to tell, but if you want to talk to the stunt coordinator, I can introduce you to him after lunch and you can let him know that you're available to do that. And I didn't know this at the time, but the stunt coordinator, I believe, was Chris O'Hara. And um, for stunt people out there, he's a huge, huge name in the stunt like world. He's coordinated some of the, the craziest stunt sequences in, in film, modern film. Phenomenal stunt coordinator. Um, but he was he was coordinating the deal. So we go to lunch and you know, I, I'm talking with the stunt guy a little bit further, just getting a little bit more knowledge about the business. And eventually after lunch, he introduces me. He's like, hey, I want you to follow me. I'm gonna introduce you to Chris. So I go over there and I'm like, hi, hi, Chris. My name is Justin. So-and-so introduced me to you. Um, I just wanted to let you know, I have pro wrestling experience for about seven, eight years. I have lots of fall experience. If you guys need anybody, anybody to do like a fall on the ground or a fall off a table or something like that, I am more than willing to, to do whatever you need. And he was like, oh, that's awesome. We could always use more guys. Um, do you have your SAG after card? And I, I was like, fuck. <laughs> I'm like, no, I, I, I don't, unfortunately. He's like, oh, man, I, uh, unfortunately, we can't yeah. use you then. We, we're, we're a union project. And um, if you did, I, I, I would love to use you, but unfortunately, we can't. And from then on, I was like, okay, I'm getting a fucking SAG after card. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, get, I, get back to, I get back to Michigan and um, I'm just, I'm going full steam ahead. I'm, I'm so like inspired. I'm so just driven to just be successful. So I go up here, I do as much research as I can. I find out the agencies that are in the area. I sign up with all of them. Um, I get headshots done immediately. Uh, I start looking for acting classes that I could take locally that I could afford. Um, I put together a resume, even though there's jack shit on it. Um, <laughs> I just did, I just did whatever I could just to, just to, you know, get out there. Right. I, I did student films. I applied for student films. I looked for short films. I looked for acting Facebook groups, you know, just everything, everything I could. And slowly but surely it started picking up. And I, I believe my first project that I had ever landed was as a SWAT security guard for an Eminem and Rihanna music video. So <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So that was, that was a bit of, that was a fun experience. It was for their, uh, their monster tour. It was like a, a 10 minute video that they would play before the show actually started. And, um, I remember meeting like Rihanna that day. Um, it was back when Detroit 187 was on TV. So like they had, um, what's his face? Uh, Michael Imperioli. Like they had, he did like a, he did like a cameo for it. And I got to meet him. I got to sit in the elevator with him. Like, cause I was, I was guarding him. Um, I got to meet Rihanna and Rihanna was fucking weird, but great. Like she was just like, <laughs> just like doing these things with her hands as she's like walking down the hallway. We weren't even shooting. She was just... <laughs> just in her own fucking world Eminem was you know was was pretty chill like not very he didn't honestly he wasn't very uh social right oh. not in a bad way but you could just tell it kind of like he was doing well, so uh no that was that was a fun experience and it just kind of kept on on rolling from there <laughs> sorry you got me caught up on that it's funny how stars of a certain caliber are like that disconnected from the world right yeah. and, and that is how they are so successful is they just they have something about it that 
I'm just going to be picturing Rihanna doing like hand gestures, walking through like a supermarket for no reason. Whatsoever. It was fucking weird. I didn't, I don't understand why she was doing it. I thought, I didn't know she was like, I didn't know she was like casting spells or what, but like, it's, I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe, but you were, maybe. you were also in um, a film that I caught years ago, uh, Detroit as a, yeah. as a police officer. Right. So yep. was that, something obviously probably done through your agency but did you feel like you were getting a, a huge jump at that point i think it was like 2017 2018 or something like that i i didn't realize how important that was until after i had done it hmm. so it was my first chance to be on film in a speaking role like a major film right so i, I was already nervous enough about that but i didn't realize like okay i'm working with Catherine bigelow I'm working with Will Poulter. I'm working with John Boyega. I'm working with Anthony Mackie. Like, like as soon as I like finished the film, I looked all this shit up. I'm like, oh my God, why didn't I realize any of this when I was there? And honestly, in hindsight, it was probably a better thing because I would probably would have been a little bit more nervous had I known immediately. Um, but no, that was a, that was a wonderful experience too. Um, it was just, it was interesting seeing things from a non-extra perspective on like a major film and how they treat you. Um, like I had my own, like, um, what did they call it? Uh, like a honey wagon? Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. a honey wagon, which is cool. <laughs> tiny little, uh, tiny little honey wagon deal. Um, I got my own like catered lunch, which is, which is fun. Um, I, I remember getting transported to set and I didn't even realize who the fuck I was sitting next to on the, on the fucking van, but I'm sitting in the van. I'm talking with one of the other local actors that I had gotten cast and in walks this British dude with a, like just this accent. I'm like, Oh, Hey, my name's Justin. What's your name? And he's like, Will. And I'm like, <laughs> nice to meet you, man. So you enjoy Michigan and <laughs> came to mind. I don't, I don't, I don't know who he is. So we're just going back and forth and we're just talking for like 20 minutes while we're getting transported to the set. Come to find out that I was fucking chit-chatting with Will Poulter like the entire fucking ride. <laughs> I wish I had known. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had known. Um, but no, it, was a, it, was, it, was a, it was a good time on set. Like um, Catherine Bigelow has a very interesting shooting style, um, especially for that film because um, it was very chaotic. Uh, the scene that I was in in particular, there's extras all over the place. There's a lot of yelling. It was basically during the 1967 Detroit riots. And uh, they were, the, the scene that I was in, they basically um, wrangled up all of these, you know, rioters that were on the street, these cops, and, you know, they're pulling them into the building and the place, the whole place is overcrowded. Nobody knows where they're going. Everybody's yelling. And Catherine didn't tell us when she was shooting and when she wasn't she would leave the camera rolling and she would just start shooting. And then she, I think there's a couple of times where we would hear like for lines, for line reasons, we would know when she was shooting, but we would never know when she cut. So we would just keep going with it. So a lot of that footage that you see is just us just kind of fucking going with it the entire time. Oh, and um, like there are times where we would shoot for like five to 10 minutes just continuously. And there was no cut, nothing, nothing at Holy all. Holy crap. Yeah. So that, that was that was an interesting experience. I got to watch her direct when we were in holding, which was fun. Um, I got to work with her directly because um, they ended up giving me a line. Um, after I, we had done that scene, they had come up to me and they're like, hey, 
would you mind doing another scene for us? I'm like, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so they handed me this like little slip of paper and it, uh, on it had this line. Um, and I'm looking at, it, I'm like, oh, okay, I can, I can do this. And they're like, we want you to talk this into a phone. This is, you know, as the shooting is happening, you're basically reporting it and whatnot. So they put me into the, um, into this area that's like reception area where I'm on the phone and I'm yelling like what's going on, right? And Catherine Bigelow comes out and this isn't even like a second unit director. This is like the Catherine Bigelow coming out and like directing me and telling me like, okay, I want you to do it like this. I want you to think of this. And I'm, I'm like sitting there thinking like in my head, oh my fucking God, I'm getting, I'm getting directed by Catherine Bigelow. This is fucking sweet. This is fucking cool. It was like, a, it was a surreal fucking moment. Um, and then they ended up using my line in the trailer. Yeah. Seriously, I gotta watch the trailer again now. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was that was a, that was a that was a wonderful experience. That was transformative. Oh yeah, and you've done like so much since. And I think your newest thing because we ha- we have the same agent in New Mexico. Uh, oh, you have uh, Peter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so hey. He, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> he messaged me and he's like, "Hey, if you haven't checked out this Crow project, you really got to check it out because I'm a huge fan of of comics and just you know movies yeah. in general, but mainly comics as well." And uh, I had no idea this was this was happening. So you in this you know crow fan film how did that come to be you know this is years after detroit you've done so many projects this seems like something that is well within your 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 wheelhouse i mean seeing the trailer i'm like holy shit this looks awesome so how did that come to be man i i need to know more about that for my own selfish geeky reasons (laughs) (laughs) so um so i was 12 years old when i had first seen the original film and as an impressionable 12 year old, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you're going through a gauntlet of emotions, you know, hormones are flowing through you and you're starting to think about things a little differently. Right. So I'd watched the crow and I was, I'm not going to lie. I was an emo gothy little fucking 12 year old. And I'm thinking like, Oh, this is just amazing. I love their themes of love and revenge. Like he's got this cool face paint it reminded me of sting. Yeah. So I was like, I was like, oh, this guy's awesome. And then I looked, I like looked back into it um, and I found out that Brandon Lee had passed away during filming and then it ended up having this like whole different type of aura to it. So from there, I just started thinking of all these ideas. I deep dove into like the comics. I deep dove into like the, you know, the graphic novels and all that. And I deep dove into um, the, the sequels that had already come out, like the City of Angels and Salvation. I watched the TV show, promptly hated the TV show, and I still don't. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I had I started developing these ideas. I'm like, oh my God, these I have some like really cool ideas that I, I just want to be able to do one day. I even started writing like a, a like a little script when I was like 13 years old. Um, of just just this film idea that I had. Never finished it, but I, I never shot it. I, I was even talking with my girlfriend at the time then. I was like, hey, can you be the girl? in my like in my film that i you know i get revenge for <laughs> that was little kid shit right but you know i had this idea and then i just kind of put on the back burner i didn't think about it until like a few a couple of years back um we had a, another local filmmaker his name is dylan sides they had a very successful um mask fan film called revenge of the mask rise of the mask revenge of the mask oh, yeah. it was based off of the mask comics and they had gone viral, like massively viral. I think Rise of the Mask has like over 30 million views. Like, it, yeah, it got like a ton of views. So I was on a shoot with him 
and I was talking with them. I'm like, man, like, how'd you guys do it? Like, what was your experience? Like they had had issues with dark horse comics and Warner, like dark horse tried to get the shit shut down. Like Warner brothers was, you know, super cool with everything. Like it was interesting stories, man. And like, I talked to them. I'm like, I have this really great idea for like a crow fan film. And I just want to like, I'm thinking about maybe doing it. And he's like, go ahead, man. Like, go for it. That's a sweet property. Just be careful of like copyright stuff. But, um, but like, go ahead and do it. And I talked to a couple of other friends of mine, a couple of other local filmmakers, and they were like, man, you should, you should do it. Go ahead, do it. It's gonna be cool. Because I told them the idea. And from there, I was like, all right, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> I, I had made enough. I had made enough connections at that point to be able to call upon people that I I trusted with the vision that I had. So we just started developing a script. Uh, I contacted a local writer. Her name was Melinda Doe Bryce. Um, we wrote a treatment for a short film. It was about 15 pages. Um, and from there, we just kept building it up, building it up. Eventually, this, the shooting script we had was at 27. And that was, I think, February 2020. Um, we were pretty knee-deep in uh, pre-production and then COVID hit in uh, March 2020. So that uh, kind of put a, a kibosh on things, unfortunately, but we still kept going. And then uh, eventually Michigan got put under lockdown, which pushed us back an extra month. Um, once we actually started shooting, everything was smooth as hell. It was, it was great. I would say my best time shooting anything ever. It was so smooth. It was so fun. Everybody was working hard. Um, it was just, it's despite COVID, it, like, it was like surprisingly a really, really good shoot. Um, and then we got into post-production and then we realized that we had overshot the entire film. Like we had so much footage that we could actually adapt it and turn it into a feature. So we edited it and then we put together a rough cut and we had it at roughly about, I think like 95 minutes, hundred minutes maybe. And uh, yeah, so that's, that's how Crow came to be. Oh my God. Any plans for doing, you know, subsequent projects like that or, you know, creating your own Crow fan film, like sequel trilogy, that kind of thing. Um, without spoiling anything. Uh, there have been talks. We kind of want to do an anthology series. Ooh, um, yeah, we have a lot of great ideas for like other, because the thing, the cool thing about the Crow franchise, and this is what I love about it, anybody can be a Crow character, right? Any story can be a Crow story. There's just your basic template of somebody who loses a loved one eventually gets brought back from the dead to get revenge, right? It doesn't have to be a lover. It could be like, a, you know, it could be a parent or a child. It could be, you know, a best friend. It could be a, a, an entire nation of people. Like it could be really any story from any century, from any anything, right? So we started developing all these ideas while we were in post-production, like talking about like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if we did like one that was like in the Victorian era? Or wouldn't it be cool if we did one that was in like the, the Wild West in the 1800s? Wouldn't it be cool if we did this? Wouldn't it be cool if we did that? So um we're still we're we're I wouldn't say we've committed to anything just yet. We still want to work on other projects because this is a project that we've been working on for three years and we just kind of want to try <laughs> other things right now. Yeah. But um but it is stuff that we are talking about for sure. Yeah, well well deserved too. I mean it's Thank you. 
it, it's uh, taken how many years for Hollywood to adapt the crow and actually go into production. So right, yeah. <laughs> how many failed remake ideas? And, yeah. And the like, less talked about wicked prayer, the better, but yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't like shitting on stuff that people work on, especially people in the business that I'm in, but like, that was just, yeah. it was bad. It was bad. It was, it's uh, just, it was bad. it's just preference, right? I mean, art right. is subjective too. So you can, right. Yeah. You can dislike something without it being an insult for sure. Right. Uh, but <laughs> that, with that's that, the way I look at it, but yeah, I mean, with that being said, where do you want to go in the next, you know, five years or so now that you've done all these things, you have, you know, reps all over the place, you are doing more than just acting, you know, you're producing writing, you're maybe even directing the future. But what, what do you want to do in the next five years, man? Um, you know, it's hard to say, because as you know, in this business, it kind of takes you into different directions and directions you don't think you're going to go in, but eventually you do. Um, ultimately what I always try to tell like people is that like, I want to, I look at it from a grand scheme of things. I want to just have a long successful career where I am proud of the work that I put out there. I want it to be seen by the masses. I don't want to do just like indie films for the rest of my life. I love acting though. And I, it, to me, it's, it's my art, right? Some people like their art is painting or their art is, you know, playing an instrument. Like my art is acting. I, I love being able to vent through it. I love being able to have people see through a window into somebody else's life. I love being able to experience that life myself and understand empathetically what these characters go through. I love being able to tell stories that make people think and make people change and evolve and adapt or make them understand like, okay, maybe that, maybe I'm not alone in this in this uh maybe they see something in that story that they can relate to and they're like they don't feel alone like i like being able to do that for people so ultimately over the course of my career and especially over the next five years i want to get attached to more projects that allow me to do that um i would love to have either a series regular role or some sort of like reoccurring guest star type of role on like a film or uh, a tv show um, preferably a streamer. I'd love to work with a guy like Mike Flanagan. Yes. Like, his work is just <laughs> so he's a genius filmmaker. Like I, I'd love to work with like a filmmaker like James Gunn. Um, you know, I'm not I don't want to just pick specific people, but like I just want to be able to get, be given opportunities or at least earn opportunities where I can show and apply my craft. Yeah. Um, I want to put out more films like crow that you know are, are not just based off of an existing property but you know there's a subtextual story to it it's the way a man deals with grief it's the story of grief um, i want to be able to do films like that where you know it kind of plays into the psyche of the character and you you, you go into a, a rabbit hole with that right i want to be able to do stuff like that so um hopefully over the next five years we can uh i can get some of that stuff going We'll talk about it in a, like a year and a half when you're on the final season of Yellowstone or something as a recurring <laughs> character. <laughs> Funny you should say that. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll talk yep. after this. We can't. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that NDA conversation that we had? Yeah. There was no smirk, uh, listeners. Um, yeah, just, there's no winker smirk at we're all. We're just talking like hypothetically. You know? Hypothetically, yeah. 
there's no uh, tangibility to what was just said. Just letting you know. Yeah, not at uh, all. That Taylor Sheridan <laughs> guy, you know, he's, he's a super cool dude. <laughs> well, okay, let's, <laughs> there's no proper way to segue away from that. Um, I do want to dip out of, you know, our business for a second and just sure. kind of learn more about what you do to decompress, relax a little bit. I mean, you said, you know, earlier that you've been busy. It's been a hectic week. I had the same week this last week, you know, whenever you're trying to go on vacation, stuff happens. Uh, so naturally always. Yeah. <laughs> like what, uh, what do you do to, to help yourself calm down outside of monitoring your cat who is attacking your back? I know, right? right? She never <laughs> does this. I, you know, I, I try to do the same setup every time, but like, she is just going to town on this backdrop. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, honestly, <laughs> funny enough I you know I just kind of hang out at home like I'm not much of a partier uh, I'm not much of a bar I, I don't go to the bar <laughs> I don't drink at all um I just like to my life can be so hectic and crazy sometimes with everything that I do that like when I get a chance to decompress to me decompressing is literally just watching like a show or a movie on, on the couch or you know spending time with my girlfriend you know you know just going somewhere you know just honestly just laying around like that's my idea I'm, I'm boring <laughs> as fuck I'm not gonna lie um if if I need to vent out obviously working out helps out a lot so I do you know I, I train quite a bit but overall um to me decompression is almost like meditation right I'm not the type of person that like when I need to decompress I'm out at the bar until like two o'clock in the morning just fucking partying my ass off like some people can do that I can't I'm, I'm I, I just can't <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that, that's pretty much how I do it. I'll, I'll read sometimes, but I, I love, I love watching film. I love watching TV. So I'll like binge watch certain things. So what's, uh, I have to know this. What is your guilty pleasure? Like binge watching show that you can go to could be a hundred times in a row, but that's like, you know, you had a full day on set, 20 hours straight. You're going to go to bed in probably an hour, but you're too tired to fall asleep right now. What are you going to turn on? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I don't even know if I would call it a guilty pleasure, but it's just something I could watch over and over and over again, like Supernatural. I could watch Supernatural, like yes. episodes, seasons of it over and over again. Um, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've watched uh, The Haunting of Hill House, like that season just that season alone is why i want to work with mike flanagan so fucking bad because he he's one of those filmmakers that like you can just tell he loves actors he loves actors like he loves them so and you could just see it like there's just such passion and and creativity and everything in the, on that show so like i could watch that over and over and over again um I don't mind watching documentaries. I'm a huge documentary guy, especially like Netflix has some rocking documentaries, man. I just watched the one Woodstock 99 train wreck. Oh yeah. Oh, it's <laughs> With so biscuit. good. Oh, it's, <laughs> did, have you watched it yet? I, I watched maybe like 10 minutes and I had to leave for work, but I need to finish it because everyone I know is saying, dude, you need it. You just need to finish it. Oh God. <laughs> Episode two. Oh my God. It's, it's so crazy. I, I like that. That was a wonderful documentary, but I love watching like documentaries and stuff like that. And nature shows and shit like that. Yeah. Um, crypto, cryptozoology is another kind of like 
nerdy little passion of mine. So like if there's anything that focuses on like cryptozoology, yeah, that's my shit. I feel like I just met another best friend. <laughs> just are we best friends? Now? Are we best friends? <laughs> it's like Fuck supernatural. Yeah. Yep. Cryptozoology. Yep. Netflix yep. stocks. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if I I'm working really hard on it, I'm trying to get both Kate Siegel and Mike Flanagan on the show. So um, oh put it out God. there, manifesting it. We'll see because obviously they're busy. Um, well, when you said you had you had Roly on there, I was like, oh, he's amazing. The dude gave me like two and a half hours. He barely slept. Oh, he had truckers God. honking in Vancouver outside his hotel room. And he just spent two and a half hours talking on the show. Like, he was thing ever. phenomenal in Midnight Mass. Oh, absolutely. So fucking good. Yeah. I, he, besides, um, what's his name? The, the priest. Uh, um, oh, uh, uh, Hamish Linklater? Yes, Hamish Linklater. Yeah. For some reason, I can never remember how to pronounce his name, but Hamish Linklater, <laughs> oh my fuck. Performance of like the fucking decade, but like Coley was just so good. Oh, he's amazing. Oh my god, he was phenomenal as a sheriff. Like yeah. his story, his story in that season was so well written. Oh my god. I, I love Midnight Mass so much. That was I, that was a, mm. crossing fingers for a physical release. I know Netflix says they have no intention on releasing it on DVD or Blu-ray, but for the love of God, guys, just give us that. <laughs> I need to just rewatch give me the, it. I want the, like the Mike Flanagan special. Like, yeah. Give me every single thing he's ever shot and put it in a box set for me, please. Because I, I just, oh, what a just uh, phenomenal, pheno- uh, phenomenal talent, phenomenal filmmaker. Oh yeah. Well, I was going to tell you if you haven't uh, haven't checked it out. Have you watched Absentia? His first, well, not his first. I think it's his third or fourth indie feature. No, no. Uh, where, it where, is, where can I watch it at? You can watch it. I think it's free on Pluto or Tubi right now. Um, or you can rent it for like two ninety nine, but it has Katie Parker in it, who's also you know one of his actors that he constantly works with, and a few other people. But uh, Doug Jones is in it for you know a, a snippet, and that was like the big thing. But definitely check it out. Check out their marketing for the like talking independent film making our own projects. Yeah. The stuff they did to raise money for that show is amazing. Uh, or I'm sorry, for that movie is amazing. So you should definitely yeah. check that out. I'll send you. I mean, we'll talk after this. Yes, but, yeah, send it to uh, me. I like to check it out. <laughs> but um, moving. Sorry, guys, we just geeked out for like ten straight <laughs> minutes. Uh, <laughs> I can talk about Mike Flanagan for like three or four hours. Flanagan so like, for life. <laughs> I'm a Flanagan. I'm a fan again. <laughs> what? Uh, oh God, now I don't even know where I'm going to go with the interview. Now we have all these like. <laughs> finalizing questions we ask and um oh i guess i can <laughs> this will be fun to do uh it's one of my favorite questions but it's <laughs> can't even... sorry i'm still stuck on mike flanagan um <laughs> if you were to share a story at a party um a party story so to speak that yeah. you can uh you can kind of recant every single element of that had a pretty big impact on your life what story would that be? Now, a lot of our guests talk about, you know, oh boy, onset experiences, people they've met, uh, yeah. stuff outside of the industry. But is there a story you have that is just so unique to your experience that you'll never forget a single moment of it? Um, hmm. I got a few. I'm just trying to think which one sticks out the most. Um, off the top of my head. 
Um, this is one that I, I, I tell probably most often, but it was my first uh, WWE SmackDown appearance. <laughs> it was really like my first time ever like being seen on a much wider scale. And I remember the lead up to it and just the whole situation. Um, I had had, as kind of like a, pre, uh, a prologue, um, about, I think like a week or two prior to me getting booked for WWE SmackDown in 2012, I had um, an injury in a match where I had torn my PCL ligament. Mm. And I had gotten looked at, didn't need surgery. They said I could just physical therapy through it. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm just going to, you know, just do a little bit of physical therapy, wrap it up, and I'm good to go, right? At that point, I had never done WWE before. I was trying to get extra work as a uh, as what like one of their guys, right? I was trying to get on TV for WWE, and there's like this little recruit website that they had way back in the day, and I had applied for it numerous times, never got called once. All of a sudden, April, I believe it was April twenty twenty second, April twenty second, two thousand twelve, I got an email. Or actually, no, I got not an email. I got a call. I was with a girlfriend at the time. We were, uh, where were we at? It was like some sort of real estate place or something like that. She's talking to like a loan officer, right? And I got in this call and it, <laughs> it had said, um, <laughs> I don't even know why. It had said, um, we have a local wrestler in the area and his name was, um, he called himself Mr. McMahon, but he's like this big, he's like this big black dude, right? And he would act like Vince McMahon, but he was obviously not Vince. <laughs> I had his phone number in my phone, or at least what I thought was his phone number. So I pick up my phone and I look at it and it says, it says Mr. McMahon. I'm like, what the fuck? So I just, I let it, I let it go. I don't answer it. They leave a voicemail. I pick up the voicemail and it's basically, um, I forget the woman's name, but she was the one who was doing recruiting for extras for WWE. So I'm thinking it's a fucking prank phone call. <laughs> I contact, I contact my, my, um, I contact the Mr. McMahon guy, right? And I'm like, Hey, did you just prank call me? I got this weird message about like being called in for extra work for WWE. And he's like, no, bro, that wasn't me. I'm like, Oh shit. So I tried. Apparently, it was WWE calling me to bring me in as an extra and seeing if I was interested. So I tried calling back and I couldn't get through. Oh. Uh, so I, I, I left a message, and lo and behold, about a day or two later, I got a call back um, saying that I had been, that they wanted to see my like availability and interest for it. So I go in and keep in mind, I'm injured. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I probably won't be able to do anything, but at least the experience would be worth it, right? So I do raw, I'm nervous as hell. I'm pretty much shitting myself at this point. My IBS is on full fucking flare up mode. Um, but it's, it's such a great experience. Eye opening, you know, mouth shut, eyes open type of thing, right? You're just looking around. You're seeing all these guys everywhere. You're going to catering. It was at the Joe Louis Arena, which is like an infamous arena in, um, in Detroit. You're having like this amazing fucking catering and you're sitting with like wrestlers that were on TV that you had seen for fucking years. Right. So 
day one happens, that's raw, nothing. I don't get in the ring or anything like that, but like we kind of just, you know, have our experience there. SmackDown was where they would tape it and they would do the tryout matches before the show. Hmm. So I had brought my gear as a wrestler, unwritten rule, always bring your wrestling gear. So I brought my wrestling gear and I found out that they were doing tryout matches. So go into the tryout match. I go up against this guy. His name is um, Mitch Johnson. And we didn't have that good of a tryout match. And I'm thinking, well, fuck, I just blew my opportunity. I'm not going to do anything for WWE anymore, right? I'm shitting. I'm, I'm like shitting myself. I'm like thinking in my head, oh, here we go. Here we go. I just fucking did it. We go to the back area uh, to the extras holding for, for a hot second. Uh, we put our athletic wear back on and then we go back out to ringside and all the talent is inside the ring going over their matches, practicing stuff like that. We're standing by the barricade and all of a sudden, um, are you familiar with like pro wrestling, like wrestlers and all that? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, so, you know, you probably know Goldust, right? Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So he was in the <laughs> ring. He was in, he was a producer at the time. He was like an agent producer type of guy for, um, for the matches and he was working with uh titus o'neill and darren young when they were the primetime players so he's going over uh a move and he could he needed somebody to practice it with them so he looks over at the extras and i am staring a fucking hole through him like so 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 strong that like i'm like telling him with my brain power i'm like you better pick me pick me pick me he's like hey you and he points at me and i'm like right over the barricade limping my my ass to the ring but <laughs> i i get in i get in and they want to do this like power bomb um they want to do this like power bomb top rope power bomb or top rope clothesline power bomb combo where titus o'neill power bombs the guy at the same time that darren young is clotheslining so i'm thinking okay i've taken moves like this before i'll be fine right so i get picked up I get clothesline. Darren Young literally crushes my neck. Titus O'Neil comes down, headbutts me in the fucking dick. And I am just (laughs) sitting there trying to catch my breath in immense pain, but I can't show it because if I look like I'm in pain, they're going to carry me out of here, right? So Goldust asks me, he's like, hey, man, you okay? You doing good? And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm, I'm good. Let's do it again. (laughs) So we do it again. Less painful. (laughs) um still painful but less painful we do it a third time a fourth time a fifth time a sixth time and then a seventh time and they had liked how i had bumped all those times i was fucking dying but they liked how i was making the move look so they had gone over other moves with me in the the ring they're just going over a whole bunch of stuff i was in there for probably close to an hour um just going over everything with them eventually i get back out um (laughs) there's a moment where brodus clay comes down the ramp and I'm, st- I'm hanging up by the ramp and he, he looks at me, he's like, because <laughs> I found out that Yoshi Tatsu was supposed to take that move later on in the match. He's like, Yoshi's going to get hurt. Just you watch. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he just walks away and he keeps fucking laughing. <laughs> so shortly after that, um, one of the producers comes up to me. He's like, hey, so um, we want to give you a dark match. Um, we have a guy that we want you to work up against. And I'm like, fuck yeah, sweet. I get a dark match now. And I find out that it's uh, John Moxley back when he was signed to the WWE. He was known as Dean, Dean Ambrose there. Yeah. Um, but I was supposed to do a dark match with him before he debuted on TV. And he was super cool. Um, he was going to let me get like a whole bunch of stuff in. Um, 
I had like a really good moonsault that I, that I, that I do. And he was going to let me do that. It's going to be a fun, like dark match. Like I was going to get a really good opportunity with him. Um, so we go over the entire match. We have it all planned out. And then all of a sudden, John Laurinaitis comes up to me and hands me a paper about maybe an hour after I get told that I'm doing the dark match. I look at the paper and I read it. I'm like, oh, this is, oh shit, this is the Ryback segment. And back in like 2012, they had just debuted Ryback where he was like squashing these like local jobbers, like these local guys, right? And just beating yeah. the shit out of them. So he's like, I want you to read this paper inside the ring to the camera. So I go inside and I'm reading, I'm reading the paper. It's like this fucking monologue. And out comes Ryback and they go over this whole match with me and um, they wanted me to go over like spot after spot after spot. And he was like, I was just nailing everything, everything, everything was going well. They were like really happy with the way I was bumping for stuff. So we go to the back. Um, I'm memorizing the monologue. Later on in the show, I remember being in the gorilla position, which is the area where uh, wrestlers hang out at, like where the producers are at and the wrestlers hang out at right before they go to, through the entrance. And I remember just jumping, like just standing there. The referee could tell that I was fucking nervous. And he's like, dude, you wouldn't, if we didn't want you to be here, you wouldn't be here. You got this, you'll be fine. So like he hypes me up, I walk out the entrance and I remember just going down the entrance, like people on either side, blue lights, the ring right in the middle, light shining down on it. I, I'll never forget that image in my life. It was just amazing. Um, go to the ring, cut the promo, fucking, I'm, you know, shit myself beforehand, right? I'm like thinking, oh, I'm going to botch this. I'm going to, I'm going to do, I'm not going to do so well. Like, oh, this could end up so bad. And I end up just going through it. And it's almost like I just, the whole wave of nervousness went away. And I was just like super fucking confident. And I just nailed the promo. Match happens nail the match everything goes perfect um i get to the back and i have like a whole bunch of guys congratulating me for like the match i have big show get up from his seat in gorilla position come up to me put his hand on my shoulder knocks me down a little bit he's like <laughs> hell of a, he's like hell of a job kid you made him look like a million bucks out there and then went to go back to sit down he literally got up out of the seat to tell me that i did a good job which i thought was fucking crazy and I had like guys that were like patting me on the shoulder. They're like, good job, good job. You know, you made them look great, blah, blah, blah. I'm going back to the extras holding area. And then Mark Henry um, comes up to me. He's like, <laughs> he's like, good job, kid, good job. Made him look hella fucking good. And then fucking smacked me on the ass, knocked me forward. And I remember this wrestler named EC3. Um, it was right behind him and he looked at me he's like <laughs> i think mark henry likes you and then he fucking just laughed he's going in the hallway <laughs> that was that but um no that was uh it was just crazy because like i remember that entire day leading up to it because oh i something i completely forgot to mention um i had gone through the physical and they almost didn't clear me because of my knee and i remember having to beg them like please let me like let me do this like i can do this i'm fine it hurts but like as long as you know as long as you wrap it i'll be fine like i can do this please and he's like i, I shouldn't be clearing you but i'll clear you but don't say i didn't warn you i'm like thank you thank Dude. you so much so yeah <laughs> that was that was that was, a, that was a crazy crazy day yeah that 
I got like goosebumps just thinking about it. You know, you go in just for extra stuff and then holy crap, you're working with all these great guys. Yeah. That's... They gave me a fucking name on TV and everything. Like it was, it was surreal. Like I didn't think, you know, it's one of those things where you think nothing's going to happen, especially after the tryout match. Like yeah. this went to shit. Like I'm, I'm done. Like nothing's going to happen. And then all of a sudden you're on fucking TV in front of like millions of people, like around the world. And you're just doing everything like spot on, like not to toot my own horn, but the whole thing went like literally perfect. Like I still yeah. have people to this day coming up to me being like, I remember you from SmackDown. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I was Holy on there once cow. in like 2012, like 10 years later, I still get that. They're like, I had, I had people like Ryback posted the match on his like Instagram and on his like TikTok not too long ago. And he never, he didn't tag me in it. And I had people like literally commenting on the video tagging me. They're like, you need to put his name up there, man. He made you look fucking good. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just crazy that people still remember that. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'm very I'm very grateful and very flattered for that. Do you have a copy of that for your own, uh, like, personal use? I doubt, okay. you know, people aren't one to watch themselves in something, but that's something special. Yeah, no, I, I still have footage of it. I actually had it in my reel for like the longest time, like my acting reel, because oh, no. it's a monologue. It's a monologue. Yeah. And if you look at it, if you look at it, I did get credited. So it's technically a co-star role. So I oh, put it on my so resume. True. It's, still, it's still on my resume. It's still <laughs> on my resume. It was in my reel for like the longest time. Um, and I still use it to submit for clips sometimes. Like I've been auditioning mm -hmm. for a lot of like wrestling related projects recently. So um it's it's helped tremendously like big time yeah well that story is filled with you know confronting imposter syndrome really sticking to you know what you know you're good at but trying to still prove yourself uh and prove others that you're worthy of being there this oh, is yeah. important for you know one of the last questions we have on the show is any advice you have for people who are just now joining the industry or have been in it for a while like anything that you can pass on to them that'll keep them going do you have something right. you can uh, instill upon our listeners? Well, it's funny that you brought up imposter syndrome because that, I think that is something that a lot of, um, especially people in the entertainment industry, that's a lot. That's something that a lot of people deal with. Um, especially like, it, it's funny. It's funny that the bit like the more high-profile projects that you do, the worse it gets. <laughs> you know, like you're you're on a set with like you're you're doing the match with like Ryback and you're you're questioning yourself like can I do this am I good enough to do this if you're in a you're in a movie where you're you have this large supporting role and you're working with guys that have you know done other films or you know you're on a 2.5 million dollar film with a large supporting role like should I be here um you're doing a Catherine Bigelow movie and you're working with Catherine Bigelow like did I deserve this <laughs> you're on American Rust and you know you're working with Jeff Daniels or Maura Tierney and you're like how did I get here and it just, it took me so long to just get over that imposter syndrome. And it, it still rears its ugly head every so often. But I think that's the one thing that us as creatives or us just in the entertainment industry just have to deal with constantly is just that fear of just not being enough um, or not being where we need to be to be, uh, to be doing what we're doing. And I think as long as we can trust ourselves and understand that we're there for the, for a specific reason, like we were chosen to be there. Right. Then I think that's enough to quell the fear of not being adequate 
And um, I think that's just one thing us as, as, you know, filmmakers and actors or just entertainment professionals or whoever, um, that's one thing that we need to work on is our ability to just feel confident in our ability. Yeah. Um, and I would say just for breaking in, like, if you're going to do it, you got to go full steam ahead. doesn't mean you have to move to LA or you have to move to like New York or any of these bigger markets, but like, if you're going to do it, don't, don't just rely on your agent to do the bulk of the work for you. Like <laughs> constantly get work, do student films. If you're not booking anything, um, seek out again, local Facebook groups, like apply for stuff. Um, keep doing acting classes. If they're virtual or in person, just keep doing them. Um, constantly read acting books like go onto websites like we audition and be an acting coach for somebody or you know do an audition with them and like learn um there's always something that you could do to further your career regardless of whether or not you're working on a set and i feel that a lot of younger film uh, younger actors don't understand that and they think that oh you know i just i got i get what's given to me and i i, I think that's so far from the truth. There's so much you can do. And if you understand that there's that, all that out there for you to do, you can further and get to where you want your career a lot faster than if you were to just wait and be patient. I love using the, the term, be patiently impatient. Understand that it's going to take time, but don't let it take time. Yeah. So that's usually what I what I like to like recommend to like people who are just breaking in or or um or getting frustrated by the lack of progress that they've been seeing. Yeah, well, especially now when people are seeing, I don't know, uh, any nineteen year old become famous on TikTok for one video, and then suddenly they're in shows and movies for some reason that I can't quite <laughs> comprehend. But uh, it's a career based off of longevity, right? And persistence right. And, and hard work. So hundred percent. Yeah. I know yeah. actors that didn't, you know, they, they, they got their big break after 20 years of doing it. And people think they're an overnight sensation, right? That like, they just started. No, they were at this for 20 fucking years before they even just yeah. got that big opportunity. And in regards to like people who are on TikTok or Instagram and they're like influencers and whatnot, like, like you said, it's, it's all about, um, it's all about longevity. Like, can they hope if, if this is something they're passionate about, are they going to stick with it? If they're not passionate about it, are they going to stick with it? You have to look at it from a producer or a casting director's perspective, especially a producer. Like, how am I going to make my money back on this project? What's going to get the most amount of eyes on my project, right? Mm -hmm. So I can see why they booked them. Yeah. Not, I'm not going to, you know, it's, it's, it's not like it doesn't make sense. Is it fair? Not really. But... <laughs> I think if you just hone in on your craft, regardless of how many followers or subscribers somebody has, if you are as good at, at your craft as you can be and you're passionate and you make the right connections, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if you have 10 followers or 10,000, you'll still get a good opportunity at some point. Yeah. And it's your job that when that opportunity arises, you, you, give, it the, you give it all you got. That's Which is the matters. same thing you're going to read about, listeners, when he is announced as the the next like main star of Yellowstone, right? Is that what we were talking about? <laughs> Kevin Costner's out, <laughs> Justin Maine is in. <laughs> I, <laughs> I might need I might need to age a little bit. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> that, hey, that'd be a dream, man. I, I I'd, I'd love to to work with you know that that cast and that crew. 
yeah. like Taylor Sheridan is such a phenomenal filmmaker and, and uh, showrunner. So I would, I would love to be a part of that, but we'll see. I, I will that. say uh, if you get a chance to work with him, he's, he's in just like the, he's the most humble guy that'll give you very uh, curt direction and curt readjustments, but it's all for like this mass canvas that he's creating. It's insane how he does it, but it's just, it's beautiful. So he's um, looking at it from the big picture as opposed to the small. Yeah, picture, right? he's he's in his cowboy hat and the director's chair, and you can just <laughs> see the wheels turning. Um, nice. uh, outside of our hypothetical Yellowstone situation that could occur <laughs> at some point in the future, uh, is there anything that I can promote with this episode that uh, you know something you've done, maybe upcoming projects, maybe a charity organization you really believe in? Is there anything I can give a shout out to? Yeah. So the big thing that I'm just trying to really promote right now is Crow. Uh, we just released that on July 18th. Um, it's not, it's doing actually surprisingly well, despite the lack of coverage we've been getting from like major websites and bloggers. We've had really, really strong word of mouth, like really strong word of mouth. I think we're at like at 180,000 like views right now. Dang. And like, we've had no, we've had no press at all. Um, and a lot of people are like, comparing it to and suggesting that it's the best like crow film since mm -hmm. the original and it's not even an official crow film so like it's i'm very flattered and I'm very grateful for that for the um for the the, the words that we've gotten about it like it, it's it's doing really really well but that's the big thing i'm just trying to get out there is just trying yeah. to just trying to get the film to be seen on a, on a larger scale and to be seen by more eyes because the crew and the cast it's not even just for me it's just them i want I want as many people as possible to watch their work because they did such a phenomenal job on this movie. And I am just so happy and grateful that we had them want to do as well as they did. That I, I think that's the difference between how this film turned out versus how mm -hmm. it could have turned out. Um, we've had a lot of, we, we made this film for like a $10,000 budget and it looks like it's a million dollars. Like people, yeah, it's, it's just, I just want it to be successful for them. So um, I would say that's the biggest one. Uh, you can watch the film on, on YouTube for free. There's no price for it. Um, it's 90 minutes, so it's a quick, quick watch. Um, and uh, all I ask is that when you watch it, you pay attention. It's not one of those films that you can put on in the background and just play it while you're doing something else. Like To get the most out of it, you have to pay attention to it. You pay attention to it, it rewards you everything links together everything makes sense we've made sure about that we were in post-production for two years so <laughs> <laughs> we we know every little story element and where it all links together so yeah. as long as you pay attention it will reward you that's so awesome i can't wait to promote it because I, I don't know with, with something like this i um with those numbers without media coverage it's one of those projects that's bound to be noticed by somebody right uh right. Uh, maybe even Mike Flanagan, uh, Mike, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> hey, Mike. Give me Justin, man. I have a project in mind for him. Uh, that's so awesome, man. Yeah, I can't wait to promote that. I um, I have yet to watch the entire feature, so that's on my docket. Uh, but if the trailer says anything, it's you know you're going to be hooked from second one. Um, but I, like, there's nothing I can really say out outside of that, man. I I just want to say. One, before we do our last thing, thank you for, for coming on to the show and, 
you know, given your time, I see your your cat <laughs> relaxed a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I was gonna say she's she's chill now. I don't know where she yeah. went. But. Tired herself <laughs> out. She's relaxed. The cat's ready for a nap. But this was uh this was awesome. Just like chatting with you on the show, man. I I can't wait to promote Crow and see what else you do. And hopefully we even get a chance to work with each other. You know, through something. I love that. Yeah, that'd be great. Peter sends out. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Thank thank you for having me, man. Like I I appreciate it. Thank you for you know you know letting me share some of my stories on here. I, I it is yeah. It's it's it was great. I had a great time on this. That's what this show is for, man. I love, I love hearing this stuff, and we're bound to bring you back too. Like, I would love to be back whenever you want me. I'm more than down. Like Justin, I know you're with Brad Pitt right now, but can you just hop on a call for like, like an hour, just something short? Uh, uh, can you give me like five minutes? I have to step outside. <laughs> Do a bullet train too, man. Hold on, give me. Doing second. bullet train too, and I'm shooting Brad Pitt in the face. So it's just... <laughs> Well, wait, the last thing that I have, and it's the dorkiest thing that we do on the show, and it's an awkward goodbye. So uh, you've seen Wayne's World, right? Uh, yes, but I have not seen it for a long time. So okay. fault me if I don't remember it. It's really common for the guests to like, have not seen it or haven't seen it in a while. So uh, essentially, the one of the, I think it's the camera operator in the movie, gives them the, you know, silent three, two, one, and then points during one of the most awkward and hilarious like scenes in the movie. So yeah. I'm going to count down silently three, two, one. And when I point to you, just give me your best verbal awkward goodbye. All right. You'll be able to do that. I'll do my best. All right, buddy. Here we go. In. Bye.